So I'd ask you guys to think about movies, songs, TV shows that, uh, man, when you watched them, when you listened to them, they made you maybe think about God, think about your faith, uh, something in them. They're not a Christian movie or a Christian uh, music artist necessarily, but, but something in those lyrics, something in that scene, um, and it just, it just makes you think, man, man that, that reminds me exactly of um, and this in my relationship with God. It reminds me of this uh, that, that Jesus has done. Some, something that pulls you back, something that ties you back to that. Uh, I'm going to share mine with you if that's okay. Uh, or one, one of many. So this happens to me all the time. Like every song, I'm like, oh, that, that, that's kind of like this. And, uh, and, and that stuff just kind of jumps off the page at me, so to speak. But I'm going to give you one example in particular that, that, uh, just from the last few years that I really, really liked. Have you guys seen the Disney movie Tangled? Um, it's about Rapunzel. If you guys don't know the story, uh, Rapunzel's a princess, um, but when she's a baby, she is abducted, kidnapped, uh, raised by a lady who is not her mom. Um, her parents, the king and queen, uh, are heartbroken. Uh, they're, 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 they're sad. They, they long for their daughter to come home. Uh, each year, they put on a big festival um, where they release these lanterns into the sky. They fill the sky. Um, super poignant moment of the, of, of the movie. Um, it's this big, big demonstration saying, we've not forgotten you, we still love you, we miss you, like a beacon you know, to, to, to bring her back home again. They're hopeful that, that one day she'll, she'll be brought back home. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm watching this movie, right? And I see, I see this king and queen, uh, and they're looking so sad, right? And the, the king especially, man, big, tear-filled eyes, and so, so it immediately, man, that, that, I'm a dad, right, so that, that gets right to the daddy heart, um, and dad longing for his daughter, missing his daughter, and, um, and immediately, man, I'm thinking about the father heart of God, right, as they, as they put on this big display, this big demonstration uh, to, as a beacon to draw their, their daughter back home, I'm thinking about the father heart of God that longs for his daughters and sons that, that, that's been separated from him, uh, and the great lengths that he goes through uh, to draw us back to himself. And, and whenever I see that scene, um, man, I, man, I feel, I, I feel it. Like it, it gets me I'm like, oh man, oh man, God, that's you. That's you. Heartbroken over lost sons and daughters and wanting them to come back home and then willing to go through these extravagant lengths uh, to, to, to see them come back home. Um, but we can, we can name hundreds of these, man. And, and, and we can name songs, you know, that's like, man, it's a song. It may be a love song, maybe about a guy, maybe about a girl. Uh, but, but you wouldn't have to shift around too much, sometimes not at all. And that could just as easily be a worship song and something that you could sing to God. Uh, and and, and so, so what I want you guys kind of think about as you, look at, as you look at movies, TV shows, songs, as you look at culture, um, the story that's underneath the story, uh, the, the, the story that, that, that resonates with us so much because it's the, the, the real story deep down of who we are and what we're experiencing in life. Uh, and, and the reason these kind of things connect with us is what we're, was what we're looking, looking at tonight. Last year we did, a, in Kyle, we did, a, we did a series called Let Me Tell You a Story. And it was looking at the parables of Jesus and the way Jesus used stories uh, to communicate with us. But, but one of those undercurrents was this idea that in every story, um, and if you think about it, man, every popular work of fiction, uh, every TV show, every movie, man, there's going to be elements in there that echo to the one great story, right, of, of, of God longing to be reunited with us. I mean, every time there's a great love story, a great love song, and, 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 
you know, the, the, the lovers are, are far apart and then, and then circumstances are bringing them together. Um, and that, that resonates with us so much because I mean, the, the great lover of our souls, man, we, man, we started out separated from him. Maybe we're still separated from him. Uh, and he's drawing us back. He's longing for us to come back. We love, we love stories with, with heroes. Heroic figures, savior figures that conquer evil, that rescue people, right? And uh, because there, there's that need deep down, man, we, we know we need a savior. We need a hero. We need someone to come and set things right in our life, right? We need someone to come and save us. And these things, these elements that are in every movie, right? In every book and every, every TV show that, that come out in all of our music, uh, man, they resonate with us so much because uh, we were made deep down uh, as part of that story. You're living in that story, um, you know, the, the, the reason, in that scene in Tangled resonates with you so much is because, man, we're living that story. We're, we're the lost you know, princes and princesses, man, that, that, that our king wants to bring us home, right? Wants to bring us back into the family. Uh, and, and, it, and it gets down in our guts because, because it resonates with us on a level that we may not even be able to put a finger on. But you'll notice it now, right? As you guys go watch TV this week, you'll be like, oh, man, that's what that is. That's what that is, right? Um, we're talking tonight about uh, how to engage with a culture uh, the culture around us in a meaningful way and, and look at these different elements uh, uh, in the culture and try, try to bring those uh, to bear in our conversations, interactions with other people that maybe don't know Jesus as an opportunity uh, to share the gospel with them. Um, we've been doing a series uh, here on Thursday nights in Kyle for these last few weeks um, and we're coming up on the tail end of it, a series called Throwback, uh, looking at the very early days of, of the Christian church, the first few weeks like a snapshot, a picture of the first few weeks of what those very first Christians looked like. The very first people that were eyewitnesses to Jesus' death and resurrection that started following Jesus. Uh, what, what did that look like? And, and what can we learn from their lives? So here we are 2,000 years later. The church, you know, Christianity looks a lot different. It's, it's changed. Um, and, and maybe in some ways there, there, there's some advancements that are good. In a lot of ways it's changed. It's not so good. And I feel like we can learn a lot uh, looking at, man, how did these early Christians do things? How did they live? How did they pray? How did they seek the Lord? How did they uh, love one another? How did they uh, and share Jesus with their community? Um, because these people absolutely changed the culture. They changed the landscape of the early world as thousands and thousands of people became followers of Christ. And, and I feel like we can learn a lot from that. So uh, in the series so far, we've looked at how the early church, instead of relying on gadgets and gizmos and PowerPoint presentations and this and that, man, they relied completely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we talked about how the early church was serious about some core theological truths, some core truths about uh, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And, and they, were, they were solid on those things. They proclaimed those things. Last week, Jackie talked uh, about the honeymoon phase of the early church. So after the day of Pentecost and, and Peter stands up and preaches and 3,000 people join the church, what did that church look like? So you've got 3,000 brand new Christians and like 100 and something uh, people that have been Christians a little bit longer, right? What did that community look like? Uh, and instead of being a mess, man, we, we, we read, we heard about a community that absolutely loved one another. Uh, that they shared everything. That if there was a need, man, they, they made sure that need was met. If it meant they had to sell some property, right? They had to sell the car. They had to sell the, the wagon, the mule, the whatever. Uh, they, uh, and they said, we're going to make sure your need's met. That, that no one's going to go needy. Uh, man, man, in our family. Um, and this was a family that that, 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 that love, that, that love they had for one another was very appealing to the people outside and saying, I want in on that. How do I get in on that? Okay, well, let me tell you about Jesus. You can get on them. It's not an exclusive club, right? They're not cliquish. It's not, well, it's just us and we're going to 
wall it off and isolate ourselves from everyone else. No, they were, they were welcoming. So they weren't, they weren't, uh, they were tight, but they were also influencers, right? They, they were tight with one another, but then also branching out and reaching the community. Um, these early Christians wove their lives together uh, and, and, and they banded together. They, they were both influencers and they were tight. They were both. Um, and so we got to kind of see a picture of what that early church uh, looked like and then, and then heard at the end that, that God added to their number daily, added to their number daily. So every day, New people are getting saved. Every day, new people becoming Christians. Can you imagine what that would look like and here, here in Chi Alpha, here in the body of Christ uh, at the University of Memphis, that, that as you're talking to, to a buddy on the, way to, on the way to calculus, on the way to chemistry, say, hey, did you hear, uh, did you hear Lily led her friend to, to, to Christ you know, yesterday? Oh, that's awesome. Uh, man, and the day before that, it seems like I remember Chris was telling me that he was talking to one of his friends and, and they wanted to accept Jesus and, and, uh, and, and Carolyn's been, been discipling this girl over here and, then, and every day we're hearing about new people meeting Jesus. Wouldn't that be exciting? Right? Wouldn't that be exciting? So, so we're, we're, we're taking a look at, man, what throwback Christianity looks like because I want to see that same growth here, right? For the 23,000 students across this campus, many of them estranged from God, don't know God, don't have a relationship with God. Um, and I want us to be the kind of vibrant community that's drawing people in. So if you've not seen the, the Tangled movie, so the bright lights in the sky, right? Lighting up the sky as a beacon, drawing people, people coming from all over. Uh, and I want, our, I want our community to be so crazy in love with one another and so crazy in love with Jesus that it's a bright light on this campus, drawing people in, drawing people in. Uh, and tonight we're going to pick up looking at how the early church did engage their community? How did, how did they engage uh, the culture? If you have your Bibles, we're going to be picking up in Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 1. The scripture should be up there. It's displaying kind of weird, so the top might get cut off. Um, but we're going to figure out this brand new projector yet. Uh, and we're thankful to have it because it's really nice. Um, we're starting Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at a time of prayer. And it was 3 in the afternoon. I'm going to stop right there. So Peter and John... Right, two, two of the, the leaders, the heads of the early church, um, two, two of Jesus' apostles, now leaders in the church, they are on their way to the temple. What was the temple? So uh, uh, Judaism was the dominant religion there in Jerusalem. The temple is where the Jewish people went to worship, to offer sacrifices, to ask God to forgive their sins. They went there to, to worship God, to atone for their sins, make sacrifices. Um, the, the, the priests served there in the temple and helped help the people to communion with God. So Peter and John were Jewish dudes, right? But they also were Jewish dudes that put their faith in Jesus. They put their trust in Jesus. They're now Christian Jewish dudes that are following Jesus. Um, so they no longer need to go to the temple to make sacrifices to have their sins forgiven, right? They understood that God sending his son Jesus to die on the cross, Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. Um, if you wondered, as you read the Old Testament, why don't we still sacrifice animals? That's why. Uh, Jesus is sacrificed on the cross, and he took care of it once and for all. For every sin that would ever be committed, uh, and the, the, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross is enough. But when we put our trust in him, what he did for us on the cross, our sins can be forgiven. We don't have to sacrifice doves or sheep or rams or bulls anymore. Um, but in and and, and the system they were in, there were tens of thousands of people uh, hundreds of thousands of people that didn't realize that, right? So they're still going to the temple. Uh, the, the people are still congregating at the temple. And so that they could meet people to share Jesus with, Peter and John go to the temple. So again, these guys aren't still in that, that, that Jewish sacrificial system, but why do they go to the temple? 
that's where the people are, right? That's where the people are going to be congregated. Um, and so, so you're in Jerusalem. Uh, you're, you're in the middle of the, the Jewish world. The temple would be the focal point of the culture. The focal point of the culture, that's where the people are. Everything in the culture revolves around the temple. So they said, man, we want to reach this culture. We want to reach this city. I want to be right in the middle of that. I want to find the focal point of the culture, and I want to be right in the middle of that talking about Jesus, right? And so, so that's what they're doing. This is why they're going to the temple. They're not going to the temple to worship, right? They're not going to the temple uh, to pray. They go to the temple to talk about Jesus, to proclaim the gospel. Um, you know, modern Christianity will sometimes fall into a trap of avoiding the culture. Um, and it comes from, comes from a good place. Maybe avoid the culture so that I don't fall into temptation, so that I don't fall into sin, that there's things about the culture that would lure me away from God, so I'm going to isolate myself from the culture uh, so that I don't sin or fall into temptation. Um, and, and all throughout church history, we've seen this. We've seen different movements where uh, Christians would isolate themselves, form communes or form, form little uh, man, man, separate themselves from, from the city uh, and, and form groups where they would live in isolation. Um, and, and again, nothing, nothing bad about these groups, man. They come, it comes from a good place, a place of holiness. Hey, we want to be holy. We want to be uncorrupted by, by a wicked culture. And, man, the culture is wicked in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm going to isolate myself from that. Um, I, think about, I think about the Puritans, right, in early American history, man, isolating themselves from the rest of the culture so that they could live holy. Man, that's a good thing. That's a good goal to have, to be holy, to grow closer to God. And all throughout church history, um, and we see di- different movements where people isolate themselves from the culture. But if you totally isolate yourself from the culture, the only people you know are other Christians and your family members. Who are you going to lead to Jesus, right? Who are you going to share Jesus with? Who are you going to proclaim the gospel to if all your friends are Christians, Right? So, so I feel like, I mean, as the church, as the body of Christ, we walk this line of, yeah, we don't want to be so far in the culture that we don't look any different from the non-Christian person, right? That you couldn't tell any difference uh, looking at our life from theirs or that, that we're kind of swept up in the same kind of temptations and the same kind of sins. Uh, but, man, we also don't want to be so isolated from the culture that we don't know any Christians. We don't have, I'm sorry, we don't know any non-Christians. We're not friends with any lost people that there's no one for us to share Jesus with. Does that make sense? Um, so, so what we're talking about tonight is how do we engage the culture uh, like Peter and John did? How, how, do we, how do we engage our culture? What is the focal point of culture here at the University of Memphis? There would probably be a couple different things. But uh, man, as far as where people gather, man, I can tell you uh, the University Center at lunchtime, there's a lot of people there, right? Um, at different, different areas of campus at different times of day, man, there are going to be a lot of people. Uh, and, and there's different cultural things that will go on. And, and so on the University of Memphis, we've got a variety of different cultures all interwoven. So what's popular with one group may not be popular with another group, but, but when something's going on, you know, uh, man, something's going on big in the music department, man, they, they may all rally around this one thing. Something's going on in the uh, athletics department. Something's going on in this. So, so a, a, as you're kind of dispersed throughout the campus, you're, you're aware of different focal points of culture. But as Peter and John went to the temple to, to engage non-Christians, think about what are the focal points of culture on our campus or in our city, in the city of Memphis, where there's going to be people uh, that, that don't know the Lord that I can share the gospel with them. Um, what does that look like for us today? And man, once we find these focal points, once we find people that don't know Jesus, and, and I know I'm talking about large groups of people congregating, but every single one of you guys knows someone, knows someone that needs Jesus, knows someone that doesn't have a relationship with God, a classmate, a co-worker, a family member, a friend. Um, and, and as we think about that, I mean, how, how do we share Jesus with these people? Um, you know, how, how do we communicate the gospel uh, to them in a meaningful way? How do we, how do we engage uh, our culture? Uh, how do we engage the people around us uh, with the gospel? 
Um, and, and I'm just going to throw out a few, few quick ideas, uh, a, few, a few things, and this is not exhaustive. Man, part of it is, is letting God give you creative ideas. Um, God's a God of creativity, and he may give you an awesome idea, a spectacular idea uh, that's unique for you because he's got certain people that he wants you to reach that no one else can reach. And there's people David can reach for the gospel that I can never reach. Right? There's people Shauna could reach that I can never reach. Uh, people Jade could reach. People Austin could reach. Uh, and God's going to give you creative ideas, unique visions for how to reach those people. Um, one is, man, using modern tools and communication methods, right? Uh, man, if, there, if there's certain social media platforms or certain modern communication tools, man, take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. Man, there, there, there's nothing, uh, you know, just because the church is, is over 2,000 years old doesn't mean we still have to use, like, 2,000-year-old methods, right? That, that, that if there's modern communication methods that help you get the me- uh, message of Jesus across, uh, take advantage of that. Understand how that stuff works. Um, contextualizing the gospel. So using analogies, uh, examples that are going to make sense to a non-Christian person's worldview. Uh, so if I'm, if I'm talking to someone who, and they've never been to church, they've never heard the story of Jesus, they don't know anything about God, they've never cracked a Bible, uh, or even heard a, sim- a simple Bible story, if I start talking to them in uh, churchy language, Christianese, if I'm dropping words that, man, they don't make sense to most Christians, right? This is words you're going to hear in seminary. Uh, these are like $20 words that you're going to find, you know, in the, the, the back pages of your Bible and the notes. Uh, man, if, I, if I'm talking like that so I can sound smart to a non-Christian person, they're going to be totally lost. I'm not, I'm not helpful to them at all. Uh, what's going to be more helpful for them is, is putting the gospel in analogies and examples that they can understand. Putting it in words that they can understand. And so that's part of when I talk about pulling these things out of uh, movies, TVs, TV shows, music that, 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 that makes us think of those things. Those are great launch pads for conversations. Say, man, uh, wait, wait. Lily had the example of Grey's Anatomy. Did you see the last Grey's Anatomy? I don't even know if it's still on. Is it still on? Do you see the last Grey's Anatomy? Hey, got, I'm... Yeah, okay. Um, I've got my shows. You've got your shows. It's okay. And say, so, did you see that last Grey's Anatomy? Man, it was so cool. But you know what it kind of made me think of? It made me think of, uh, uh, of this thing in the Bible. This relationship here kind of took me back to this thing that, uh, man, God taught me. Or this is what I was thinking about. And, um, and this could be launch pads for conversations with people, right? Or, or do you see, look at the analogies you see in the culture. So Jesus, uh, he used analogies. He used examples. He used simple stories to communicate uh, more than anything else. Uh, I mean, the, the gospels tell us every single time Jesus taught, he used some kind of parable, some kind of illustration, some kind of example. He was always trying to find examples from real life to make complicated spiritual concepts make sense to and simple, everyday, regular people. He used a lot of agricultural analogies because it was a farming, agricultural society, right? So you hear a lot about farmers and seeds and soil and planting and these kind of things. Um, and you go out there with the farming analogies today, and it's not going to connect with as many people. But there's examples that you can use uh, that's going to connect with your classmates, with your friends, uh, that, that as you see things in life, as you think, oh, that's a great example of, of what God's done for us in Christ. Uh, just put it in simple words. Simple analogies that they can understand. God will give you those creative ideas. Uh, and that's a way for you to effectively uh, engage the culture using contextualization, using those kind of analogies. Um, social justice is another huge way uh, that the church can be relevant in a culture. As we see uh, injustice, as we th- see things in our culture that are not right, people being oppressed, taken advantage of, people being abused. Uh, and and, and as, as the church, as the body of Christ, man, we're, we're, we're to oppose injustice, oppose evil. Um, you know, as we're telling the people about Jesus, we're also to relieve suffering uh, and relieve injustice in the world. And so as, as, as the body of Christ, if, if, God, if God's given you a particular heart for a particular 
social justice issue that you can you can kind of kind of help help support and get behind, um, and you can relieve suffering. You can do something to help out. Um, you're going to connect with people that way. You're going to connect with people that maybe would never come to a church, never come to a Bible study, but they're also passionate about seeing this particular injustice dealt with. And when they, they meet you, uh, that's an opportunity for a conversation. That's an opportunity to say, man, here's what God's done in my life. Let me tell you my story. Uh, here's the hope that I've found in Jesus. Here's the mess that I was. Uh, and here, here, here's where God's brought me. Um, and it's because of my love for people, because of what God's done for me, that, that that's why I'm passionate about this issue and, and can have some great conversations there. You know, so, so as we get involved in social justice things, as, we, as, as we're active in our community trying to help people, um, hang out with people that enjoy the same things you do, right? That sounds kind of obvious, right? You've got people, uh, you, you like the show, there's other people out there that like that show. You like, you like making art, there's other people out there that like making art. You like making music, and there's other people out there that like making music. And you can hang out with them. Uh, you, can, you guys can write some songs. You can play. You can jam together. Uh, and if they don't know the Lord, you can share your testimony, share about the hope you've found in Jesus. Uh, find other people that are into the same stuff you're into. Right? Find those people. Hang out with those people. Spend time with those people. And start conversations that matter. Right? As you're, as you're talking to them, you guys talk about sports. Tigers are doing awesome. Right? You guys talk about, talk about the weather. Man, it's, it's a lot nicer outside. It seems like summer is finally, finally gone and made way for fall. Uh, but don't stick to that surface-level small talk stuff. Ask them deep questions that really matter. Ask them stuff uh, you know, that will really get them thinking. Um, and, and share deep stuff from your own heart, what God's been teaching you, uh, kind of what God's been dealing with in your own life. Um, volunteer somewhere. Find somewhere to serve the community, to help, to give back. Uh, man, we've got 101 different ways that you can volunteer in the city of Memphis, different ways you can serve. And then just on the campus, places you can volunteer and serve and help uh, and say, man, I, I don't have any, any gifts or skills. Man, we'll put you to work. There's something you can do. Maybe, maybe it's playing with kids. Maybe it's tutoring. Uh, maybe it's helping pass out food at a food pantry. Um, you know, maybe it's helping with Up Till Dawn, raising money for St. Jude. There's places you can serve. And as you're volunteering and serving alongside people, man, you'll connect with people that need to hear the gospel and you can share it with them. Um, so, so I want you guys, kind of a takeaway from tonight is thinking about what are the focal points of our culture? How can I engage those uh, in a meaningful way, uh, putting myself around people that need to hear the gospel and then taking advantage of those opportunities to share the gospel? Um, and la- last one I have here is, is being aware of the needs of people around you and then meeting those needs. You know, the, so the early church was good about this. They met real needs. If someone was hungry... And they made sure they had food. If someone didn't have somewhere to stay, they said, man, I've got a place you can stay. Uh, and, and you guys, similarly, the, the people in your life, classmates, coworkers, you know, other students on campus, uh, your friends, people you know, they're going to have real needs. Like just life is going to happen. Uh, and, and life devastates us all in different ways at different times. There's going to be a time where they're, they're wiped out and they need your help. There's going to be a time where they, uh, maybe as simple as they need a meal, they need a ride. Uh, they need something tangible that you can do, that you can help them with. Uh, and when you meet that physical need, man, that's a tremendous opportunity for you to share the gospel with them and share the hope you found in Jesus. Um, so jumping back to the text, this is exactly what we see Peter and John do. They, they find a real need, uh, and then they minister to it. And God does a spectacular miracle, and it's a platform for them to share the gospel. So ju- jumping back to the text, verse 2. Um, Peter and John uh, come across a need as they enter the temple area. It says, Now a man who was lame from birth, so uh, paralyzed, disabled in some kind of way since birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So it says he was put there. So he disabled, he can't get there on his own. Maybe his friends, maybe his family members lay him there in the gate that goes into the temple. Who, who's going to the temple? 
religious folks with a guilty conscience, right? So maybe they'll have mercy on them. Maybe they'll want to assuage their, their conscience a little bit. Maybe they'll want to give them some money. But he's laid out there every day uh, so he can beg. That's how he makes money. That's how he can buy food. Um, it says, when this man saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him as John did. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. So Peter notices this guy, and, and, and I imagine, man, if you're out there day after day, you're asking people, you're begging, uh, you probably are, and hope is lost, right? You've got that kind of glazed over look. You're looking at people, but you're not really looking at people. Uh, kind of just kind of looking off in the distance. Uh, but Peter goes and he gets in his face and he makes eye contact and he says, look at me, look at me. Now I want you to get this, I want you to pay attention, look at me. And it says the guy does, he looks right at him. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, there it is again, uh, and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him Walking. So Luke is a physician, right? He's a, he's a doctor, uh, and he, he's making sure we get this detail. This person that was paralyzed is three times now walking. He's walking, he's walking, he's dancing, uh, he's praising God. Verse 10, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. So Peter sees this guy, and the guy has a legitimate need. He does need money, um, but you know what he needs more than money? Uh, he needs Jesus, right? And, and his, his other apparent need to him is, uh, is he needs healing. Uh, the guy's begging because it's hard for him to work a job because he can't walk. Uh, so, so Peter says, I know you have a need. I know you've got a deeper need than that. And he prays for him to be healed. And God works a miracle. God works a supernatural miracle. He says he heals his feet and ankles. Whatever was wrong with them that kept him from walking is totally healed. So he's able to walk and walk and walk and dance and praise God. And people notice and say, hey, that's that same beggar I see every day, and he's healed, what is going on here? So that begins to draw a crowd. Um, so here we see, we see, this is the first, I don't know if it's the first one that happens, it's definitely the first one Luke records, the first supernatural miracle, first healing miracle that we see since the day of Pentecost. Um, so since uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with, with signs and wonders, uh, th- this is the first supernatural miracle, healing miracle that we see recorded. Uh, and, and, and they go on to do several more, um, but, but this is the first one, and it's important. Uh, so, so Peter, man, full of faith, he, he knows that Jesus went around healing people uh, and that Jesus said, whatever you ask for in my name, uh, I'll, I'll do it for you. He says that the same signs that I do, uh, same, same things that I do, even greater things you're going to do in my name. So Peter's like, okay, so in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Get up and walk. I believe God's going to heal you. Uh, I, don't have, I don't have any money or I give it to you. I don't have anything on me. Um, but I have something even better. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And God works a spectacular healing miracle. How many of you guys in this room, because we read about this kind of stuff, and it's like, okay, that happened a long time ago, right? That's back when God healed people. Or that's back when miracles happened. Uh, how, how many of you guys in this room has ever may witnessed a healing miracle or known someone that was healed? Um, just, just kind of raise your hands real quick. Uh, there's something, uh, and I'm not talking about like, they, you can put your hands down. They didn't just like, get better on their own. Like, like God, God healed them. There's something supernatural there. Um, and some of you guys have, some of you guys haven't. I saw a lot of hands, though, um, where you, you personally known someone to be supernaturally healed in this way. Maybe not as dramatic as a paralyzed person that's, that's 
that, that, that's walking and dancing, uh, right? But maybe you've seen something. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, and guys, God, God does this still today. God, God's still, still healing today. Um, it's, not, it's not something God used to do, but then he doesn't really need to do anymore. Um, are, we a, are we in a less skeptical age than they were then? Um, are we, a, a, are we, are we a, a more skeptical age where we more need God to prove himself and demonstrate himself in that way, right? Um, you know, the, 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 this was a people that I think would more easily believe a, a healing miracle than we would today uh, in a modern skeptical age. I mean, how much more uh, is the demonstration of the power of God going to be meaningful to us now? Uh, and many of you guys did raise your hand and said that, that you, you, you'd seen that or had witnessed that or talked to someone, someone in your life you could attest to that had been healed. Um, I want you guys to know, I mean, God is still, still actively healing people today. Uh, does that mean every time you pray for someone, they're going to get healed? No. No, God is God. God does as he pleases. God is sovereign. God has a purpose. Um, but God is willing to heal. And we're instructed to, to pray for people, uh, you know, and, and pray in the name of Jesus and believe that God will heal people. Um, and, and sometimes he will and sometimes he wasn't. He won't, but... Uh, and when, when, when we have an opportunity to pray for someone who's sick, man, we should believe that God's going to heal them. Now, why, why would God heal somebody? Why would God work a miracle in this kind of way? A few different reasons. He loves people, right? For compassion towards people. When we read about Jesus doing miracles in the Gospels, it says he's moved with compassion, so he heals all their sick. Uh, he's moved with compassion. Uh, and you would think, you know, our lives on this earth are pretty brief, right? In comparison to eternity. That we've got 70, 80, 90 years, and, and, and that's it. And compared to the 80 trillion zillion years, right, the, the, uh, of eternity, our lives are, are, are short and then they're over. They're just a breath, just a vapor, uh, and, the, and then they're gone. Why, why would God be, be concerned about relieving our suffering in this life if our life's so short? And it's because of his love for us. Because of his love for us. Man, he, he has compassion on us, and there's times where he'll relieve our suffering because of his love for us. Um, and the other, the other major reason that, that God would heal a person is so that he could be glorified. Um, and I have that up there, you know, the, uh, the, the miracles, healings and miracles will bring glory to God. And they also provide an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Um, so, so God will heal people so that he can be glorified. So it will bring attention to him. Um, and, and sometimes we wonder, man, why is a person sick or why is this person going through this situation? Um, and, and part of it is so that God could be glorified when that person's healed. We have an episode in the Gospels where, where a man has been blind his whole life. And the disciples are like, you know, is he blind because he sinned at some point and that God's punishing him? Or maybe his parents sinned and God's punishing them. And, and Jesus said, no, no, it's not. Nobody, nobody sinned. It's not, it's not that at all. Uh, he's blind so that God can be glorified when I heal him. And, God, and Jesus heals him and, and God is glorified. And there's a chance for people to, to hear about Jesus. Um, and and so, so God is immensely glorified uh, in healings and in miracles. So God, God loves people. So he's going he's gonna to show compassion. He's going to heal people. God is glorified uh, in, in these healing miracles. So he'll heal people. Why might God not heal a person? His reasons are his own. Sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes it's like, God, this doesn't make any sense at all. But, but he knows, right? He's got a purpose in it. And, and so, so God, God might have a variety of purposes uh, that, that he can use, man, through a person who, who's sick or ha- has an ongoing ailment um, to, man, strengthen their own character. Uh, maybe it's an opportunity for them to witness to other people that have similar uh, afflictions. Um, but, but, but God can, can sometimes work, work in those things 
uh, man, man, as a way to, to, to bless other people, and, and God can still be glorified in it. Let me give you an example. Um, my grandfather uh, died of lung cancer when I was 10 years old. And, man, we, Christian families, we, we, we prayed, for, prayed for Grandpa a lot, prayed that God would heal him, that he healed the cancer. Um, he, he battled cancer for a really long time, so, so uh, longer than I'd been alive at that point, he, he'd been dealing with cancer uh, in different forms. Um, after, after, so he passes away. After his funeral, several, several people came up to my grandma um, at, at different points over the next couple of years telling them uh, stories about how my grandfather administered to them uh, while maybe they had a bed side by side getting chemo, right? Or he's, he's there getting treated. Um, and he, he says, man, I was at a time of, of, of hopelessness and despair and I wanted to give up and something that your husband said, um, and gave me some hope. You know, and he, so he would share, he'd share Jesus, he'd share, share God with these people. Uh, and, and, and I hate, hate that my grandpa had cancer. And so certainly hate that, hate that, that, that he died while I was still so young. Um, but, but then hearing the stories about the people that he got to be around uh, because of that, the people's lives that he got to touch because of that, um, and God, God had a purpose in it, right? And so, like I said, a lot of times, we're not going to have any idea what that purpose is. We just got to trust that God's good, okay? So, so will, will God heal a person every single time? No, not necessarily. And he, he, may, have a, he may have a purpose to work in it uh, for, for, for our spiritual good, our eternal good, or to give us an opportunity to minister to others. And then sometimes he will heal spectacularly, supernaturally. Um, and me personally, I, man, I've experienced healing a couple different times. Um, healing in, in my throat, healing in my back, where God's healed a, a herniated disc in my back. Um, and Jack, Jackie's uh, man, experienced healings as well. Man, one notable one is uh, when she's pregnant with our daughter, Cadence. Uh, Cadence is our middle daughter. She has a birthday next week. She's turning eight. Uh, so almost eight years ago in some months, uh, when, when Jackie was pregnant, uh, pregnant with Cadence, Cadence was upside down. The, she was breech, I guess, is the obstetrician word for it. Um, baby's supposed to come out head first, and she was, she was feet first, and that's not good. That can cause problems and complications. So they're talking about doing a uh, cesarean section to get the baby out. Uh, th- those kind of things. Um, Jackie, of course, didn't want that. You know, she didn't want to be cut open if at all possible. And, and so she said, let's pray and let, let's have Chi Alpha pray. So uh, the, the Chi Alpha ministry that, that, that we've been connected with. And, and so this is when we were living in Arkansas, right? So we were calling back to the Chi Alpha in Knoxville, you know, a couple hundred miles away saying, hey, would you guys pray? Is a Thursday night like this one. Would you guys pray? Um, we're, we're in the hospital. The baby's upside down. Would you, would you pray that God got to do a miracle here? And so, so it's around... Man, man, 7.30 or so at night, around when uh, Kyle Finn Knoxville would have been praying, and, got, and uh, Jackie feels this kind of boom in her stomach. Uh, and they've got, they've got ultrasound, you know, the, the, the nurses are feeling around, and sure enough, and Cadence had been flipped, right? She was head down, she was good to go. Um, is, that, is that basically it? I'd, boom. Had it, well, it was not as comfortable as that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the, the same moment, yeah, the same moment, the same moment that Kyle was praying, hundreds of miles away, she, it, was not, it was not a comfortable oomph, but probably, probably uh, more comfortable than the surgery would have been. Yeah, so, um, man, yeah, God, God worked a miracle there, and then the nurses were like, wow, okay, yeah, we can see the baby's facing the right way, we're good to go. Um, I, shared, I shared this story when we were in the Dominican Republic, Devante and I uh, were on a spring break missions trip in Nashville, 
right, with, with a team of, of Calpha students from Austin Peay State University, and we were doing some ministry there. Uh, one of these student leaders there who's now on staff with Calpha there, his name's Corey, uh, was playing ultimate frisbee and twisted his ankle something awful. Uh, it, had, it had started to swell up. Um, he couldn't put any weight on it, uh, and, and so uh, he was hurting really bad. He kind of limped in. We lay, he was laying on the ground just in a ton of pain, uh, ankle all swollen up, uh, and absolutely miserable. And we said, hey, you know, let, let's just surround Corey. Let's pray for him. Let's see if, see if God will heal uh, this ankle. And, uh, and so, so we kind of made a circle around him. We, we laid hands on him. Uh, we, we prayed. We quoted all the Bible verses we knew about how God wanted to heal uh, people, and, uh, and including you know, you know, Mark 16, where, where Jesus says, These signs will accompany those that believe that you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And before our eyes, we saw the swelling go down. Corey comes to his feet. You can put weight on it again. He's feeling fine. He's jumping around. He's dancing around. I say, hey, let's go play Ultimate some more. And he goes out and he plays Frisbee, right? Totally healed right before our eyes. It was amazing, amazing. So, and does God still heal today? Yes. Does God still want to heal? Yes. Does God heal every time? No. But man, we should pray like he's going to every time. So, I've got a mailbox. You guys probably have a mailbox in your dorm or in your apartment. But we have a mailbox that's at the end of our driveway. And sometimes in that mailbox, there will be cards, from family members or church friends of family. And, and sometimes those cards will have money in it. Do you guys like getting cards with money in it? Yeah. So sometimes you go to the mailbox and it's just bills. It's just junk mail, right? You can't just leave it in there. you got to at least take it inside. Uh, but sometimes you go in there, not all the time, but sometimes you go in there and there's a card. Hey, this is someone I know. This is grandma. She sometimes sends money, right? Or this is, and you open it up and, oh, sure enough, Right? It's, it's 20 bucks, it's 40 bucks, and you're like, yes. Grandma, you had no idea how much I needed this right now. Every time I go to the mailbox, is there money in it? No. But I'm, am I going to stop checking the mailbox because sometimes it's bills and junk mail? Right? So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it every time, right? Does God heal every single time we pray for someone to be healed? No. We're going to stop asking him, right? Because sometimes he will. Sometimes he will. We know his heart is compassion towards us. He wants to heal. And when he does heal... And he gets the glory. He gets the glory. He's glorified, and that is an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. That's an opportunity. To, that's a testimony where you can share Jesus with someone. Um, we're going to look at how it's an opportunity for Peter and John to proclaim the gospel. Uh, so, so while the men, uh, we're going to be picking up again in verse 11. While the men held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as, by, if, as if by our power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By the faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So Peter takes this opportunity. He's got all these people at his attention to say, Hey, let me tell you why this guy's healed. It's not us, right? We're not some kind of magic sorcerer people, right? It's all, it's all about Jesus. You guys remember Jesus? He's the one that you guys arrested, right? He's the one that you guys had killed. He's, he makes sure to remind us of them, them of this over and over again. This message is very similar to the one on the day of Pentecost, that, 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 that God had exalted Jesus, 
you killed him, and then God raised him from the dead, and we were all witnesses of it, right? So he, he preaches this message, he shares this message with them, he makes sure that God gets all the glory for this healing. Uh, and then he continues in verse 17, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing. Jesus says as much from the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. You acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. Verse 18, But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he, he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He said, I know you didn't know what you were doing. I didn't know what you were doing. And in fact, this was all part of God's plan. Uh, that, that the prophets had been prophesying hundreds of years previously that God would send a Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And this Messiah who was God would have to suffer, would have to suffer. Like the prophet Isaiah said, uh, that, that he, he, was, he was bruised, he was punished in our place. Right? He was bruised for our iniquities, he was punished for our sins. Uh, the chastisement that, that brings us peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes were healed, were made whole. Um, you know, he said, he said the, you know, Isaiah and other prophets prophesied that the Messiah would have to suffer, and that's what's happened, but the good news of the gospel is this. Repent, turn away from your sins, put your faith in Jesus, and all your sins can be forgiven. You can be made right with God. You can receive uh, Jesus. So, so whenever there's a, a miracle, healing, or some other kind of supernatural miracle, that is an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And whenever the gospel is preached, and it's usually followed by people coming to Jesus and persecution. And we see both. Um, and, and so that's where, I guess, as far as the, the scripture, that's where we're stopping. But if you read ahead later, um, and you'll see that the religious leaders, the same religious leaders that killed Jesus, were not happy to hear Jesus being preached uh, there in the temple area, right? So uh, Peter and John are in trouble, right? They get persecuted. But also, thousands of people become Christians. So it's 2,000 more uh, and, and came and joined the church. So they were like 120, and then, and then they were like 3,120, and now it's over 5,000. And so the, the church is growing as, as these believers are proclaiming the gospel at every opportunity. Um, and, and so, so, so where, where the gospel is preached, there's going to be conversions and there's going to be persecutions. As you guys and share the gospel with friends, with family members, with classmates, uh, some of them will receive it with joy and say, God, did what for you now? Jesus, I need that. I, man, I need the kind of peace that I see that you have. I need that kind of joy. I need my sins forgiven. They'll receive it with joy. You'll have an opportunity to lead them to Christ and disciple them. Some people are not going to like it. They're going to be angry with you, frustrated with you, make your life more difficult. But praise the Lord, right? If they treated Jesus badly, they're going to treat us badly sometimes too. It's, that's part of the package deal. Um, and and so, so persecution is going to come, and that shouldn't surprise us either. But by engaging the focal point of the culture, they saw a huge number of people come to Jesus. And as we're intentional about engaging the focal points of culture around us, we're going to see people come to Jesus. So I want you to think about application. What can you guys do to engage the focal points of your culture? Kind of something to be thinking about later tonight, thinking about this weekend. Uh, what are some needs around you that you can meet? What are some places uh, and some people groups that aren't being reached? Now, we've got ministries for all kinds of stuff. We've got ministries to athletes. We've got ministries to Greeks. Uh, we've got ministries to, um, to, 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 the, to, to maybe to the, the band. I don't know. There, there's all kinds of different ministries and Bible studies active on the campus. Uh, but I want you guys kind of to have an eye out. What people groups are not being reached? Like, who are the folks not being engaged with the gospel? Is anybody reaching these folks over here? Are these guys over here being neglected? And God, what creative ideas are you going to give me to reach out to those people? What can I do? What can I start uh, so that I can engage some focal points 
in, in our culture that aren't otherwise being engaged with the gospel. Um, Paul, a uh, missionary and church planner, wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.22, uh, he says, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. You know, to, to, to Jewish people, you know, I'll take on some of those customs of Jewish people so I have a chance to share the gospel with them. With Gentile, non-Jewish people, man, I'll behave more like a Gentile so, uh, so I can, can have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. To, to poor people, man, I'm, I'm going to humble myself and, and, and be able to share with them. And, and so I'm going to kind of take on take on uh, some of those attributes and become some of those things, uh, not, not in a way that is giving into sin or, or becoming in a way that doesn't honor God, um, but, but finding that common ground. And that's how the New Living Translation puts it, finding common ground with everyone. So what are the touch points in our culture that everyone can agree with, that everyone can be like, yeah, I can understand that, I can relate to that. Finding those common ground touch points and making that an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Um, Paul says, man, I, I try to find common ground with everyone. I try to try to find something in common with every person to become like them in some kind of way so I can share Jesus with them and lead them to Christ. Um, and, and we need to be that, have that same kind of mentality. Man, we want to see as many people come to Jesus as possible. How can we engage the culture that way? How can we can find common ground uh, with those people? When uh, the, same, the same year, we talked about uh, when we were at the University of Arkansas and, and, and Jackie was pregnant with Cadence. So that year we were interning uh, with the Kyle program there in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, and as, as interns, um, and we had a couple different responsibilities. We had to, to lead a life group, lead a Bible study, like some of you guys lead on campus, uh, or some of you guys attend or involved with on campus. We had to lead a life group, but we had to start our life group later in the semester. So uh, we couldn't draw any students that were already involved in Chi Alpha. Like they would all get into the student life groups, and we had to just find new people, right? Find those people on campus that aren't plugged in anywhere and create something from nothing that is going to engage some sector of the campus, uh, we're kind of free to figure out what that is and, and free to fail and, and try crazy ideas. He says, this is the time to be really creative. If you had a wild idea that, that, that you always wanted to try for the kingdom, then this is the year to try it. So uh, so we started, Jackie and I started dreaming of some different ideas. So if, as you guys saw, Jackie's extremely talented uh, musically. So she had a, a guitar uh, life group where she taught people guitar lessons. So she had some Christian folks coming and some non-Christian folks coming that just, hey, I want to learn guitar. I want to learn how to play music. Um, and that was an opportunity to share the gospel. I'm, I'm not as cool as her and much nerdier than her. So I had a much nerdier, uh, geeky idea. Um, so I like, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, I like superheroes and comic books and like those kind of TV shows and science fiction movies and those kind of things. And I'm looking at the culture. I'm looking at the campus. Are those students being engaged well with the gospel? Like are their ministries honed in and focused on reaching nerdy guys that like science fiction and, and, and comic books and those kind of things. And, and it's like, man, wouldn't it be cool if we had something for that? So I started a, a afternoon, what I called a comic book review group in the library. And so I, man, I found these guys all across campus and, and uh, I found, found these guys that were like, like-minded individuals and we would gather uh, in the afternoon in the library and, and uh, we would talk about comic books, we'd talk about superhero TV shows, we'd talk about movies. Uh, and I'd have a stack of comic books there on the table, and we we, we flip through them and we talk. And, and guys, some of you guys would be like, "I'm so nerded out uh, right now, I can't I can't hang." And some of you guys would be like, "Man, I want to be in that group," uh, and that's okay, right? Kyle takes all kinds. Um, but so in this group, uh, man, we're we're just talking about talking about the stuff these guys are into. And and these guys, for the most part, except for one other guy, these guys are not Christians, right? Uh, and so it's my responsibility as the leader. How can I how can I turn these conversations? To, to talk about talk about God's stuff. How can I how can I use as we're talking about these different stories? 
You know, you know as I was talking about in the beginning, how every, every story is just an echo of the one main story uh, of, of a God that loves us and wants to unite us with himself. And every time we read about a hero triumphing over evil, every time we read about a hero rescuing people, and that resonates us with us so much because of and the hole that, that's in our heart, that, that need we have for a Savior. And so, so as, I, as we're reading these different stories, man, I, that, hey, guys, this conversation here with uh, Thor and Captain America, you know, that made me think a lot about something that I read in the Bible this week. And so whatever that looks like, right, and I'm sharing uh, with these guys, and we had some great conversations. Had some great, I got to share about, man, here's the difference Jesus has made in my life. And, and as you see these kind of themes come to bear uh, in pop culture and in different places, uh, Man, 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 step out. Step out in faith and, and start some conversations about stuff that matter. And, man, apply it to our faith. Apply it to our real lives. Um, that's, why, that's why I spent a school year with these guys doing that um, and sharing with them. And these are people that probably would not have heard the gospel otherwise. These are not people that would darken the door of a church, would come to a worship meeting like this one, would go to a Bible study. But they're going to sit around with some other folks and, and talk about Smallville and Spider-Man and Thor and all those kind of things. Uh, so, okay, let's do it, right? Let's, let's do it. Um, but, but so... That was my idea. God's going to give you creative ideas. God's going to give you unique ideas to engage the culture. Um, one last thing. There's a, uh, I guess, a couple, couple different Christian bloggers I noticed uh, earlier in the week posted that this week uh, was the anniversary of a famous conversation uh, between uh, J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. If you don't know these guys, J.R. Tolkien, he wrote The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Right? C.S. Lewis wrote uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the Narnia books and many, many other, other books. Um, these guys were friends, right? These guys were contemporaries and friends. J.R. Tolkien was a Christian. C.S. Lewis, and at their, early in their friendship, was not a Christian, right? Um, but they, they were friends. They loved each other, and they had some, some great conversations. But um, so, so a couple different blog writers were talking about this. This week was the anniversary of a conversation they had that kind of put C.S. Lewis... Clive Staples Lewis put him on the path towards becoming a Christian. So what are these guys talking about? Man, they're talking about nerdy stuff, right? They're talking about stories and myths. And so, uh, you know, I guess J.R. Tolkien, he's coming up with this epic myth, the Lord of the Rings, that he, he's wanting to tell and, and about, about hobbits and, and giant eagles and wizards and all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and, and you know, they, they challenge each other to, uh, to, to write myths. They talk about myths from ancient history that they would like. And so apparently, man, man they're talking, they're having this conversation and Jared Tolkien's a Christian. He's thinking, man, how can I, how can I share with my friend Clive here, who's not a Christian? Uh, and, and so we have this common ground here. We both like stories. We both like myths. And so Jared Tolkien starts to talk to him about how Jesus is like the one true myth. That the reason we like all these other myths is because there's core elements there that resonate with us uh, that, that all tie back to Jesus, things that, that were embodied in Jesus, who was a real historical figure, uh, that, that all these things uh, that, that really connect with us and these myths that we really enjoy. He pointed to these different myths that C.S. Lewis really enjoyed and said, and don't you see how that, that's kind of all pointing to Jesus? Like, you like that thing because there's these themes here that, that are embodied in the person and the work of Jesus. And C.S. Lewis, oh, that's really interesting, right? And, and basically became convinced by the end of that conversation that Jesus was the one true myth. He's a myth that's true, right? It's, it's too, you know, you know, bigger than life, except we have it historically documented, um, you know, that, that everything he did was, was real and true. And, and, and that conversation put Clive, put C.S. Lewis on a journey to becoming a Christian, to, to accepting Jesus as a savior. Uh, he falls in love with Jesus, man. He, he writes 
so many great Christian books uh, that, that have been great resources to us for decades and decades and decades. And he's been, been dead for a while, but he, he attributes that conversation when his Christian buddy uh, shared the gospel with him over a conversation about stories and myths. I mean, that, that, that's one of the things that helped put me on the road to becoming a Christian and believing that Jesus was real, believing Jesus was true. Uh, you guys can have conversations like that. You guys are bright. You guys are smart. You guys can figure out how to work Jesus into the conversation in that same kind of way. Um, and, and as you guys are engaged, engaged in the culture, remember we talked about uh, and wanting to avoid two extremes. You know, that we don't, we don't want to um, isolate ourselves from the culture, uh, you know, to where we don't have any Christian friends. That, that, I mean, it's good to be careful uh, and, and make sure we're not putting ourselves in situations that are going to tempt us to sin. Uh, but at the same time, if we're, if we're so isolated that, that, that we, we don't know any non-Christians to share the gospel with, we're not going to be very useful to the kingdom. And what we talked about in the very first week of the Throwback Series is the plan that Jesus gave to, to, to proclaim the gospel to everybody, to lead people to Christ, both in your city uh, and the surrounding regions and all throughout the world. We're going to make disciples. Uh, you can't fulfill that plan if you just hang out with you and your three other Christian friends all the time, right? You don't know any lost people to share the gospel with. Um, so, so you don't want to be at that extreme where you're so isolated with the culture, you're not relevant to anybody, uh, not, not useful for the kingdom in that kind of way. And then you also want to stray away from the extreme of being so engrossed in the culture uh, and the, 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 that you're tempted by it, that you're giving into sin, um, that, that, that you are no longer been spiritually healthy um, because, because you've got so much of the world in you. Uh, Jesus uh, and ta- talks to us uh, about our role in this world to be in the world, but not of the world. You know, your citizenship is forever in the kingdom of heaven, right? Once you put your faith in Jesus, that, that we live in this world, but it's a temporary thing as ambassadors for Jesus. And, and that we don't, we don't ever want to absorb so much of the culture that we're indistinguishable from a non-Christian person. That if a person looks at my life and they look at the life of a non-Christian person, I can't tell any difference. Man, that's sad. That's not right. So, so we want to avoid in those two extremes. We don't, we don't want to become so much like the culture that people don't see anything different in us. And that they should see something different. So a Christian's life should be marked by love and peace. We talk about those kind of things. But it should also be marked by holiness. And when you look at a Christian's life, you should see them fleeing from those same sins they were once in bondage to. You should see them walking in purity. That, that a person can't say anything bad about them. Right? They're living in a place of what's called above reproach. No one can point to any sin or, or struggle in, in, their, in their life. They're, they're living a holy life, and, and, and that'll make a person curious. I mean, how come you're not doing this, 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 and this stuff? Like, you hang out with me, but I notice you don't ever participate when we do these kind of things. What's with that? Hey, let me tell you about, what, tell you what I found is better than that. Let me tell you the life, the hope that I've found in Jesus is better than those things. Uh, you know, and they say, man, I see, I see peace and hope in your life. You're different from everybody else. Uh, you know, we, we like depressing movies and depressing music. And you, I, you listen to some of that stuff too, but you don't seem depressed all the time like me. How come you've got joy? How, how come you've got hope? Um, man, our, our life should be, should be different enough from there. So, so avoiding those two extremes, right? Figuring out what that, that path is in the middle where you're still, still walking in holiness, but also engaging a culture uh, and the, the, that's fallen and needs the life that Jesus has put in you. Amen? So that's what I kind of want us to think about, want us to pray about. Uh, how does God want to use us in that way?